Hey everybody, you're listening to Big Things with Zach Miko. On today's episode, I sit down with fitness instructor and expert, Matthew Johnson Harris. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the theme song. All right, welcome everybody back to Big Things with Zach Miko. As always, I'm your host, Zach Miko. Thank you guys so much for being with us. I hope everyone is safe and sound. Um, I'm recording this on Thursday, this intro, so this is pre-Hurricane Florence. I'm really fingers crossing this thing blows over and everybody's just fine. Um, Be safe, everybody, but, you know, I mean, it's Monday, so I guess I now know if you're safe, but I want you to be safe and I hope everybody took the proper precautions and nestled on in. Our producer, Josh, actually works for the Weather Channel, so he's been telling me it's been looking a little scary. So I hope the best for everybody. I uh, love you all, and, you know, stay safe, stay smart, and I hope everything turned out just fine. But anyway, regardless, hopefully if you... you, you if you're doing bad, this will lift you up. We have a great episode for you guys today. Matthew Johnson Harris is here, everybody. He's a fitness coach and instructor and an expert and overall amazing guy. You can catch him working all over the city, taking classes from cycling to high-intensity interval training to you name it. He teaches it. But most exciting, he's actually the instructor on the Hit Workouts app by Daily Burn. That's out this week. You guys are going to check out H-I-I-T Workouts. That's the name of the app. By Daily Burn. Go check it out. You can find it on all of your app stores this week. So please go check it out. We had a great talk, everybody. We talked about life. We talked about chasing your dreams. We want to talk about being seen, being heard, being valid. You are stronger than you think is his biggest mantra, and it is so much fun. And I especially wanted to talk to him um, about, you know, just not just fitness, but, you know, fitness in terms of bringing positivity into your life. It's not about getting a six-pack. It's not about doing anything like this. It's about you feeling better and you being more confident in yourself, which is a message I think we can all get behind. Uh, So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Matthew Johnson Harris. Ladies and gentlemen, I am sitting here with fitness expert, instructor, uh, actor, all-around beautiful man, Matthew Johnson <laughs> Harris. How you doing, buddy? I am doing awesome. So honored that you asked me to be here. So proud of you. Of course. A fan of this podcast and everything you do. So I feel very blessed and honored to be sitting across oh, from you, thanks, Papa. buddy. Mm-hmm. That makes me so happy. Um, I thought it was perfect. For one, you're an amazing person with an amazing story, so I wanted you here. But also... Um, you know, since this is like a more like body positive 
positive podcast. I think it would be really great to have an actual fitness expert in that. And, you know, I love you and know you. <laughs> Everyone knows that. I know everybody that I'm interviewing. There's very few people I interview that I don't personally know, yeah. which is always fun. So let's start from the beginning, Matt. Uh, where are you from? How's life? I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and mm-hmm. grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, a smaller like suburb called Louisville for the majority of my life, but mm-hmm. I just say Dallas because Texas is so huge. Oh, I know. That <laughs> I just say I'm from Dallas. Texas um, is too big. Oh, it's too big. I, I drove like like from Louisiana like four hours into Texas, and I hadn't hit a major city. <laughs> we, just, we, we just turned around and came back. That's exactly what I was going to say. I remember my mind being blown when I traveled from Boston to New York City by bus and we went through like four states. Like yeah. We went through Rhode Island and then we went through Connecticut yeah. and it only took four hours and I was like, I've literally driven in Texas for eight hours I know. and still stayed in Texas. That's something <laughs> like the Northeast doesn't realize because, you know, I'm from Connecticut so it's the same thing. Yeah, if I'm driving six hours, I'm going across like seven state lines. Yeah. Like, I can drive six hours and be in Washington, D.C. versus... <laughs> Versus just what? <laughs> that's from like Dallas to Austin is four hours yeah. maybe. No, that's still not right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, that's, no, that's, that's real like, far. That's like some some like small dirt road town with yeah. one light and you still got another like two to three hours to go and then you're in Austin. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that is so crazy how big that is. Um, so how long did you live in Texas? Um, the majority of my life until I was... Eight, no, 20 years old, I went to um, a two-year program in between high school and college. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just going to, full disclosure, I am a first-generation college student. I have seven siblings. We all have different moms and different dads, like, mm-hmm. grew up in poverty and just, like, never really saw myself doing much more than the traditional idea of like making it. So that when I say that, I mean like when, when, when you're growing up in that type of environment, you have an idea of like what you might wanna be, but yeah. you don't really have a plan because nothing's really laid out for you. And you look at these celebrities and you look at these different people who have made it, and so you're like, how do I then make it? Um, I was very fortunate to move to Louisville when I was about 15 years old and I met a really good friend of mine, Stephanie Umo, who was going on to perform on Broadway and do all sorts of really, really cool things in theater. Mm-hmm. But um, she accepted a scholarship to the Boston Conservatory of Music. And I was like, girl, you can go to college for singing and dancing? <laughs> like, that's a thing? Like, people do that? And she was like, yeah. And so um, I couldn't immediately follow her because yeah. my family had no money. Like piss poor so I went to a two-year program called um Collin Community College now they're just Collin College great theater program was able to work two jobs that's awesome money. that the community college had a theater oh amazing program. amazing they caught there's an article written about them and they called them the um little Juilliard on Jupiter Road oh that's awesome yeah it's, it's it was a great program um Michael Urie is an alumni and a few other people yeah um, that are working that are that inspire me consistently but after two years, I then um, auditioned again for the Boston Conservatory because I was accepted my junior year of high school, but I had to re-audition after, you know, two years later. After a certain amount of time, yeah. Yep. And got accepted again, was given a scholarship, and took out a whole bunch of loans for the money that <laughs> didn't come along with the scholarship. <laughs> a shit ton of money. Preaching to the <laughs> choir, man. I think it, uh, it's so dumb. I hate it so much. Yes, yes. And from there, I went to Boston and... Kind of never looked back. Um, That's a big transition from, you know, 
rural, small Texas to yeah. Boston. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the inner city for the majority of my life, and okay. then I moved to like a more rural-esque suburb town for like three years. So that was culture shock because yeah, yeah. I was in a school with predominantly African American kids and Latino kids that kind of grew up with the exact same situation with, as me. Totally, and I'm not gonna go too deep in it because that would be like a forecast, like a four episode podcast <laughs> yeah yeah we're working on the production of that one still so. <laughs> but what i would say is that it's a lot of the things that you would think drugs like violence and yeah. um a lot of other things that just aren't beneficial to having a true a true childhood or trajectory for yourself of wanting something yeah. more and when i moved to louisville where i was now like a true minority and the majority of people were white Mm-hmm. It shocked the hell out of me, to be honest. And I got to see racism in a different way. Like, now that I'm 31, I can see that I was experiencing racism just for the fact that my school system sucked because I was an inner city kid of color. Like, yeah. I was already experiencing racism and didn't know it. But no, when I you're, you're, you're <laughs> like, like fully institutionalized generational yes. racism yes. that you had no idea As was opposed existing. to moving to Louisville and being called a nigger to your face. You're like, oh, Jesus there we go. Christ, and now I'm experiencing this yeah. type of racism, right? Jesus. Which is completely different. And I, I was going to ask you, I don't really know that much about Texas. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I know, I know the Bible Belt very well and I know it kind of presses into Texas but I don't really know I know the racism that happens in like the deep south so that's still going on even as you get out west towards Texas oh yes of course and you know still even to this day I say this and I mean it I feel very fortunate to have grown up in Texas Mm -hmm. because growing up in Texas gave me the social skills and just the human interaction that a lot of people up east and New Yorkers just don't have. Like, I've gotten opportunities just from smiling and saying hello to someone. Oh, I know, yeah. Just being in the right room and smiling and saying hello, and then someone's like, who are you and what do you do? And I tell them what I do and I got a job. You know, and that because so it's so true. foreign to New Yorkers and most people up east, like that. When I moved to Boston, same thing. Oh, the Northeast, and I, with Laura, I always called it because she always, you know, she's from Georgia, so she would stop and talk to every single person, whether she knew them or not. Like we, especially walking in Georgia, we just have to take forever to go anywhere because we're just having conversation after conversation. She's like, "Why? What do you guys do in New England?" I was like, "Well, you, what happens is you walk down, you make eye contact with the person, and you do this little like quick head nod, <laughs> and you never break your speed of walking. It's just like a quick." Mer. I was like, "That's how we do. It's just a quick. I acknowledge you're another human being in the vicinity." see you later but it's true we don't it, there's something to that southern charm of, mm-hmm. of of like graciousness to talk to whoever yeah and it helps me in everything it helps yeah. me when i was a server it helps me when i worked at any front desk or just even at auditions like yeah. people will remember me just because i speak to everyone in the audition mm-hmm. and then it'll be some random actor or maybe the person that was the the reader remembers just how joyful i was and they bring me in for another project like if you don't take anything from this podcast take just the power of people just wanting to be seen yeah. people are longing for human connection that's why social media has become as big as it has because people for the first time can kind of curate the the image of themselves that they want people to see and right. then and then and everyone's like oh we're seeking attention oh this is such an attention driven society and i'm like we've always been attention driven mm-hmm. what happened is you had just people 
horribly depressed and rotting for a while over in the corner, not able to make their voices heard. And, you know, there's still plenty of depressed and anxious people out there, but it's everyone has a little bit more of an opportunity to try to get their voice out into the world. Yeah. It's crazy. I agree. I agree. So before you went to Boston, so, so when did you start singing and dancing? Oh my God, you don't just get little... into Boston Conservatory. <laughs> since I was a little boy, I, I, my earliest memories is sitting um, in the front room of my apartment with my family and watching Michael Jackson's Thriller over oh, and over and over again. I, I, I don't remember not watching that. And there was a movie, if you're a real Michael Jackson fan, called Moonwalker that came <laughs> out in the 1980s and also had a video game series that followed that you could get on Sega Genesis. What? <laughs> See, I was a true Michael Jackson fan. I had a Sega <laughs> just so I can have the Moonwalker game. Now, granted, I was poor as hell, so I had a Sega in like 2000, yeah. but I had a Sega Genesis <laughs> so I can have the Michael Jackson game. <laughs> but anyway, oh, that's awesome. like I would watch him over and over again. And I would perform like over and over again in my room. And then um, my mom was heavily involved in the church. Mm -hmm. So I would perform at like church functions. And um, this former football player named Keith Davis was really big in our church. So he liked to do prison tours. And he would go and he would like inspire young men that were in prison and he would bring the kids to perform. And just to give us a sense of like, this is where you can end up if you don't yeah. stand the straight and narrow. And also just to bring joy to people that are less oh, fortunate. Yeah. And I would yeah. do my Michael Jackson routine and I would kill it. And I would know that I was killing it. And I would then also do like um, different talent shows and different things that I could do involved in school. I remember my first um, choir teacher, Miss mm -hmm. Drummond, in kindergarten, who told me that I could sing, and I always hang on, like hung on to that. Like, yeah, and that's the power of like validation. Like you just need one person to tell you that you're good at something. Tell me about it. Yeah, no, it, it's it's so important. I feel like everyone. I mean, there's a. I've always been self-driven, but if there wasn't two or three key people in my life that said, "Hey, you're pretty good," I would never be doing anything that I'm doing. Yeah. Just because, it, I mean, it's it goes back to what we were saying about people craving attention. People just want to know they exist. Yeah. Like, do you see me? Yeah. Do you see me? And I try to live my life every day and just see people. Yeah. Just really genuinely see people. And I remember Miss Drummond looking me in the face and saying, you can sing and you can sing well and you're going to do this solo. And full disclosure, um, I've always had to go back and forth with a voice in my head that's told me that I'm not that great of a singer and I'm yeah. not that great of a performer. Just some, you know, stupid comments that your parents might make after they're like really, really tired and you just so happen to be singing and so they oh, really they just want to go to sleep and up. they're telling you that you're a horrible singer. <laughs> like little things like that. Oh, you know? my, mom, my mom and my sister used to get so mad because when I was, you know, I'm in high school and I'm learning how to play the guitar and I'd be playing it and they'd be like, you need to stop Survivors on. And I'm just like, uh. they're like, you're just playing the same thing over and over again. I'm like, this is what practicing is I'm trying but do you know how many singer songwriters stop in that moment yeah and they never pick up a guitar again or they never sing again and Miss Drummond like changed my life yeah she changed my life so much to where I still think about that like I'll have a moment where I have an audition or if I have to perform and I get that voice in my head saying Matthew you can't sing Miss Drummond right there yeah I see her I see her I see her face that's awesome that's so great. So you go up to Boston Conservatory, um, and and you said you were living in, but Boston's a little bit of a culture shock from oh, Texas. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I couldn't understand what anyone was saying to me. 
<laughs> That's like, true. I got off the like plane and I had to listen three times just to figure out where baggage claim was because they would have like you know how they have the over speaker telling yeah, me where yeah, to yeah. go and like I can't even imitate the accent that is so deep because I'm oh, so Texan. It is awesome. And my, my oh I love it, but I couldn't understand it for like yeah, a yeah. month. I could not understand what anyone was saying to me. My mom's from right. Uh, my mom's family is from right outside of Boston in Medford, which is essentially like the queens of boston like mm, it's just, i know where it is you're like i know medford I know um it. so because of that like you know she had you know she's one of seven so there was my life was just filled with the thickest boston accent you can yeah. imagine my mom got rid of it for moving to connecticut but anytime she gets angry all of a sudden it's like getting yelled at by rosie o'donnell or something <laughs> like I don't even know if Rosie O'Donnell's from Boston. I think she is. But she you has just, that you, thought, you thought of a person, you know, that had a, an abrasive voice when they got upset. Exactly. And also, you know, had a little bit of the regionalism. I got it. I know. I got the reference. It's funny how, like, even in the U.S., how, like, different regions have such a hard time understanding what other people are saying. I was lost. Oh, I go down, even just going to Georgia. It's, it's Not only that, it's like the whole dialect's different. They'll just say, like, words and phrases where you're just like, what? <laughs> what are you saying? like a bless you pea picking heart i'm like what are you <laughs> are peas picked i thought they were shucked what's going on oh man so um so the, tell me about boston conservatory because i know what it is i know plenty of people who have gone there because mm-hmm. um, i went to a conservatory also but i went to a straight acting conservatory boston mm-hmm. conservatory of music isn't just theater it's also it's oh it's, it's musical theater there's no straight theater it's yeah, just musical yeah. theater so you have to do all three components yeah so, um, like, what would a typical day be like? Because oh, I know you, it, with conservatories versus, like, colleges, usually it's, like, a much longer day. I remember when I was in regular college, I had a two-hour class once a day. On the bad <laughs> days, I had two classes. Like, then I went to conservatory, and I was spending eight, nine hours a day doing, just drilling it out. That's exactly how it is. Um, you would have days that were a little bit lighter, but it was about 8 a.m. to about 7.30 p.m. You were you would start off your day with acting. Mm-hmm. Um, the middle of the day was some type of singing, whether it was your private voice lesson or if it was choral singing where you would sing with a small group of your peers, you know, to work on like ensemble stuff. And then in the evening, it was always the dance class, mm-hmm. always. So Monday might be ballet, Tuesday might be modern. So they get you tired it's, first, oh, and then they oh, make yeah. you do the dance. <laughs> yeah, dance was the last thing. Oh, yeah, I never thought of it that way. That should actually start your day. <laughs> that should. really should start your day, but yeah. it always ended with dance. So like, everyone tired? <laughs> get out there. <laughs> Tap time. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it was an all-day process, and I loved it. Where in Boston I is loved it? it. Um, it's right on fin- well, like right across the street from Fenway Park. Oh, I, really? Okay. I was there when the um, Boston Red Sox won the 2008 World Series. Oh. That was an experience within itself. Oh, <laughs> listen, I, I I can imagine. I wasn't obviously I wasn't there, but I imagine the whole city of Boston just exploded. Oh, it was unreal. There's it certain. Unreal. Um, there's, excuse me, 2007. 2007. Someone who listens and like corrects me. <laughs> <laughs> like it was in 2008, it was 2007. There's something about um, these like northeastern towns, like they take sports so seriously, especially professional sports. So I can imagine Boston blowing up. Did you see like everything happening when Philly won the oh, Super yeah. Bowl? Oh yeah, just b- oh, flipping and but burning it didn't surprise cars. Me. Yeah, yeah. It didn't surprise me because I had lived through it. Um, the school is literally across the street from Fenway Park. Yeah. So we could hear all the madness as soon as the game was over. And then we stepped out and, look, a full disclosure, I'm just going to, this is how you're going to know that I am completely a homosexual. So, (laughs) I am, 
walking with my binder in my ballet tights, going to go rehearse my my jazz number or whatever I had to put together for class the next day. And I'm pumping down the street and I see like this row of cops and they have all their squad gear on, their riot gear on. And so I walk up and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's peculiar. So I walk up and I'm like, sir, do you know what's going on? Oh my God. He's like, the fucking socks are in the World Series. <laughs> and that's my Boston accent. It's horrible. But he said it just like that. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, of anything you'll be asking. This is what, especially in 2007, they're like, we've been waiting like 86 years to win a World Series. Oh, it was so funny. And I meant it with like the most sincere heart. Like, the, all of these like, policemen in riot gear in front of my like my dorm room. You're just like, making sure everything's okay. Yeah. Like, and, and he was like very abrasive. And I'm like, okay. And I went and danced for an hour and a half. <laughs> Came out, went back to the dorm, and I got to watch, you know, white people destroy a whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of stuff. White people <laughs> love destroying things after sports. So just that's burning just... things, jumping off things, breaking things. Oh, my! that's the thing. It's, oh, that's something I realized during Philly that made me mad. White people are allowed to riot anytime a sports mm -hmm. team wins, which doesn't make sense. But if people of color riot, you know, seeking social justice and oppression, it's crazy. And yeah. they're riot. Oh makes me so angry because you know there we you and I have lived through I just remember when the Baltimore riots were happening mm -hmm. and I thought the exact same thing where just where you know everyone's like how dare these people they're destroying the town I'm like I've watched you know I've been in Philadelphia when the Phillies won a, a single game and yeah. just started flipping cars and going crazy but apparently that's celebrating it's not mm -hmm. it's, and then I was also taken aback that the cops were doing nothing oh yeah like nothing and some of them were like kind of laughing were a part of it and it also in its weird way was beautiful yeah because I had moved to this city from Texas where even if people didn't like you they gave you enough of um they, they at least acknowledge your existence, right? Yeah. Like they, <laughs> you could hate someone at least and, and still say hello in Texas. Totally. But in Boston, as soon as I got off that plane, outside of not really being able to understand a lot of people just from their vernacular, but also the fact that people just weren't connecting. No. And then to have this moment where all these different people who didn't know each other were all joyously celebrating, it was beautiful. Yeah. And it was like miraculous. Like I love watching human behavior. And that's what what I marveled at. And of course, like I had a lot of different feelings about like the actual rioting, and of course, what we were just talking about, like with Baltimore, it hadn't happened yet. But I yeah. also remember. I mean, I can go back to Rodney King. Like, no, exactly. It's I the mean, same the LA, idea. Like the it's LA happened. riots yeah. weren't that far away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I can always go back to a different situation where people who are impoverished feel like they have no other way to share their voice but to react that way. So I already had that point of reference as I was watching it. But at the same time, I was like, wow, this place that I really thought was really, really cold. Yeah. Is really experiencing this outburst of joy. There's something I, I will always love sports for that reason. Uh, people get very frustrated. And, you know, I come from the art world, too. Mm -hmm. So not a lot of big sports fans mm -hmm. <laughs> in musical theater. There are, but not a ton of them. And it, it's one of those things where as I became, you know, more sophisticated, if you will, I wasn't sure if I... I, I, I never really was big on sports growing up because I was such like a theater kid and I was such a music guy and all that. And I knew who my dad liked. And, you know, because of him, I was a Giants fan and a Yankees fan, but I only like sort of cared. Um, and then I remember it was when I moved to New York and I had that same feeling of like I wasn't connecting to people the way I used to. Mm. The reason I used to connect to people 
was because we lived in the same town our whole lives. So I just happened to know everybody. But, you know, I wasn't connecting to people. I especially wasn't connecting to other guys. And yeah. I and I made like the, I remember making the conscious decision to get more into sports because sports is one of those things that for a lot of people it's a uniting thing and I have nothing to to talk to you about. I have no idea. But if I casually drop something about, you know, the last Giants game or any football thing, all of a sudden we're having a conversation, not like a deep knowledge conversation cuz so many other guys in the city are just sports people mm -hmm. and it's it, it it's helped me a lot just being able to because i i get very awkward if i don't know anybody yeah. i hate going to parties if i don't know people I'd like even tonight i have an event that i'm just like oh i'm not gonna really like i know like two people and they're gonna be busy but i still have to show up yeah. so it's like i don't know it, it's 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 important that i think Especially right now with all the drama around sports, especially all the drama around football, um, I think it's still just important to like, there's something beautiful to me in the fact that like these people, these athletes especially, worked their whole lives as hard as they could. The same way that you and I would have been in conservatory, they were on the practice field mm -hmm. doing what they have. So there's something, I don't know, there's something beautiful in watching anyone be good at something that you know they worked their whole lives at. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm a huge fan of the Olympics. I'm yeah, a huge no, fan exactly. of any major sporting event. Um, yeah. I do not follow sports regularly. Yeah. Um, and I'm still, like, even as we're sitting here, like, sports fans. It could have been 2007. could have been 2008. <laughs> you're, you're going back So I'm just sports. making sure. Because I know Boston fans are crazy. Oh, they are. They're on and a they whole want, other level. They, and they will find me. Exactly. And they will direct message me. And they will say, Matthew, yeah. it was this year. I know. So I'm just putting it out there that I don't mean to offend. I thought that your riding and tearing up the shit was beautiful. <laughs> and best of luck this year. It reminds me of there's something, I think with sports, there's something more interesting about a joyous riot versus an angry riot. For, uh, so Hamilton, in the, the part I always cry at when I listen to Hamilton, this is what I spend most of my day doing <laughs> is just listening to Hamilton and crying. And crying. Um, <laughs> is the when he talks about at the end of the battle of yorktown when he talks about after they won the war people flood the streets singing the world was turned upside down and i'm just like oh that's so to me it's so beautiful and the only time i experienced anything like that was i was working um at a bar in hell's kitchen when all of a sudden you know late night no one's there it's like a tuesday or something like that and all of a sudden like six cops just walk in like really quickly and they're like turn on channel two or whatever and i go and i turn it on and there's barack obama announcing that they caught and killed osama bin laden mm. and out of nowhere i had two people in my bar and out of nowhere i had 50 cops from the nearby precinct filling my bar all turning off their radios going no they're like oh well, people are running into the streets i'm like of course they are they're people are so happy and after work i went down and there's people you know at union square hanging off flagpole you know hanging off light poles waving the american flag there's something really just gorgeous about a city coming together in that especially being in new york city mm -hmm. and going down to the world trade center and seeing people celebrating you know, the catching of the person who did this. And mm -hmm. it was kind of like a, 
you know, New York City got to take a punch back for a second. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And that's also a testament to the things that we hold on to that we don't know are still there. Like September 11th is coming right around the corner. Um, Yeah, yeah. And um, we have gotten to a place where it's almost 20 years past and a lot of people might feel removed from it. But there's a very interesting quote that I heard from Brene Brown, who's a an amazing sociologist and psychologist who breaks down um, vulnerability and a lot of human behavior. But um, she says, we can move on from things and we can leave a trauma, but the body keeps hold of everything. So yeah. even, like it, it holds on to stuff. So like, you don't know who that person was in your bar. You don't know who those cops were. I don't. When yeah. September 11th happened. And they probably have buried their emotions and their feelings down to a place to where they feel like it's there, but it's not really there because now they're going through their day-to-day life. Yeah. And then you get a moment like that, and then it all just comes back. Like, oh, instantly. And, it, and you have this response that's, like, visceral. and You don't kind of understand where it's coming from. So yeah. I get that. I was only, like... 12 13 when 9 11 happened i think mm-hmm. i was 12 but i feel like it's better to say 13 but i think i was only 12 mm-hmm. years old when 9 11 happened and i remember my mother being kind of afraid of me in a, in a, and she she talks about it all the time she goes zach that was the first time i saw a grown man's anger in my child mm-hmm. like it wasn't like this it, you know it wasn't this childish temper tantrum thing she's like you were like angry the way your father was angry at mm-hmm. like that this could have happened and the loss of life and the you know the 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 indignation of like an attack on our home soil and whatnot it's really it, it's funny because even now to this day like you know i mean in the theater world you'll try to especially when if you're doing a difficult scene you kind of relive past traumas mm-hmm. to kind of prep prep yourself for it and i remember just pacing in my backyard after 9 11 as a 12 wow. year old kid and I can always snap right back into it. Yeah. Yeah. Such an interesting time. My mom actually worked for Delta during that period. She um, did maintenance on planes. She would come in and clean the planes in between flights. Yeah. And I remember her calling me and us talking and about how, like, the airport was, I think, shut down was for two days. There were no flights, like, anywhere. Yeah. You couldn't fly. So she just basically stayed at home until she was called in again. It's just even like even when i think of such devastation and people at their absolute worst and doing something that seems so unforgivable it takes me back to what i said at the beginning of this podcast people just want to be seen yeah and even the person that could do something as radical as drive a plane into a building this is going to sound really radical but they felt seen by Osama bin Laden. It's it's crazy. He but saw no, them. You're right. And he and he said, you know what? You can be great, and you can do this thing, and it will yeah. make you matter. I see this in you, yeah. and that shows the power of that. Like even used negatively or extremely positively. That, that's how cult leaders do what they do. They find yeah. people who are damaged that want to be seen, that want to, you know, mm-hmm. and they make them feel validated for the first time because everyone wonders why are all these people following Jim Jones <laughs> into yeah. the like that's why yeah. he made them feel I mean he viciously mind controlled them the same way I'm sure Osama bin Laden did but you had that opening of of a broken person searching to be whole mm-hmm. and sometimes and, and people come in and they 
they use that to their advantage and they go, I can make this person feel whole and then they'll do whatever the fuck I tell them to. Yeah. It's really sad. It's super sad. I'm also really into cults. So I think they're yeah. very interesting. Oh, me too. I me think too. it's, it's cause I, 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 I think in a past life I could have gotten sucked into one myself cause I was super depressed as, you know, as a teenager and was looking for my place and I looked for my place in theater and I looked for my place in music and I looked for my place in the boy Scouts. Luckily those were the places I found, but in a world where I didn't have access to a theater program, the boy Scouts of America, a guitar, I could see myself going into a place like that. Mm -hmm. And then always thinking about like people in those situations, like, Every day we subscribe ourselves to ideas that someone has given us. Yeah. Like even when we talk about the standard of beauty, like in our weird way, we're in this cult that has said that this height and this color and this 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 body shape is beautiful. And we all have just accepted that. Yeah. We've accepted that. Oh, so yeah. I mean, maybe we're not at the extreme level of like, you know, drinking Kool-Aid and all dying. But it's still it's, you, <laughs> But at the you, same you were, time, we accept ideas every day. You were day. told that you found this person beautiful because when you were, you know, one years old, everyone went, that's what beautiful is. Yep. When you see a person like that, yep. that's what beautiful is. That's the only reason people don't look at other people like mm-hmm. that people just be like, Oh, you're ugly. I'm like, no, they just don't ascribe to the you know, white Anglo-Saxon virtues of beauty that you were handed when you were a toddler. Right. And if you were grown up in any other culture, well, do you find whole different things beautiful? Mm. Like it's human beings. We think we're so smart and we're making all of our own choices, but the majority of them are programmed. It is so frustrating. I think that anytime I pick up my phone, do you know how often I pick up my phone and just look at it just to see if anything's happened? I'm Mm. programmed as shit. I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's crazy, but that's why we use things like the arts to try to deprogram ourselves a little bit (laughs) slash subscribe to someone else's programming. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Oh man. So, um, you're at Boston conservatory for, so how many years were you at? I was there one year in my sophomore year. Um, I'll never forget. I was in acting class and I get asked to go to the financial aid office. I'm like, Oh, okay. So I leave early, go to the financial aid office. And I'm basically told that my loan fell through and there was no way that I could continue at the Boston Conservatory. It was a long back and forth. I applied for other loans. I tried so many different outlets to find the money to stay, end up not being able to find the money to stay. So um, I was left homeless in Boston. Consequently, I lived in the dorms. So consequently, um, I was kicked out of the dorms. I split up my belongings between the different apartments, between a few different apartments of upperclassmen that I had become friendly with. Um, the other belongings I just left out on the street. Jeez. Uh, yeah, and I just roughed it. I spent a lot of nights walking the streets of Boston into sunlight and then like texting one of my friends or upperclassmen and be like, hey, let's hang out and let's do lunch just so I can like go to their dorm room or their apartment. And I feel so bad because we'd be talking and I'd be like, what's going on with you? Blah, blah, blah. And I'd be making up some bull crap about how I'm working on coming back next year, knowing that I had no plan or really no real idea if I would be able to come back next yeah. year. I was just trying to survive. And I just wanted a place for shelter in that moment. And they would be telling me about what was going on. And I would just fall asleep. Oh. I would just pass out because I'd up all night. And then I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh, my God, did I fall asleep? I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It's no big deal. Jeez, man. <laughs> but just because I was exhausted. No, you know? of course, because... <laughs> And there was a part of me who thought nobody knew, like, 
but everyone could pick it up because I'd be like, oh, last night I was hanging out with Chutney or I'm staying at Chutney's place. And then they were like, um, we hung out at Chutney's place yesterday. Yeah, you weren't there. You yeah. weren't there. So there's Jeez. no way that you live with Chutney. And I'm not, I've always been the type of person who's never asked for help. It's been yeah. kind of ingrained in me to always try to figure out how to make it work myself. And I called my parents. I did call my mom and my dad. And none of them, neither one of them had money to provide me money for a plane ticket to get home immediately. Yeah. Like, we weren't in that place financially. Actually, I flew myself to Boston Yeah. Um, the, the year before. Like, I had worked those two jobs. I saved my money, and I flew myself to Boston. So my mom was like, you know what? Just give me a little bit of time. I'll figure it out, and we'll get you a plane ticket home. Well, that was after, like, a week or two of being homeless. And during that period, I had already had a job on the Spirit of Boston. And so I just asked, could I pick up a few more shifts as not just a performer, but also as a waiter? Could they cross-train me? Because back when I was originally hired, it was two separate jobs. Yeah. They ended up putting it together, but at that time, it was still two separate jobs. So like, yeah, we can cross-train you. You can also be a waiter, and you can also be a performer. I was like, great, because I need to make some money. So about two to three weeks passed. I'm going back and forth with my mom. At that point, we had figured out kind of a plan to get me back to Texas. But I just realized that, like, maybe I was better off, like, saving this money and trying to figure out what was going on and how to make this work. Long story short, I save up enough money um, to uh, get a plane ticket home for the holidays. Between walking the streets at night, staying in my best friend Bobby's dorm room illegally, like he'd have to wait until like all security was out and like there was no one around, sneak, sneak in. me in, and then there'd be random moments where like an RA would knock on the door and I'd be under the bed hiding, and they would just want to check something out or ask Bobby a question about something random, and I'd have to hide under the bed, and then they would come and leave, and I would just burst into tears like from the stress, like I would just like, well yeah, burst you're like a tears. stowaway, yeah, like. it was so bad. And then so that December, I raised enough money to go back to Texas. So I went to Texas with no like real definite plan of where my life was going to go. Yeah. I was young. I was 20, 19, 20, just trying to like figure out what was my next step. And I'll never forget, me and my mom was sitting across from me, and she says, Walmart is hiring overnight work, and it's $20 an hour, and it provides great benefits. And she meant it with sincerity and I have a brother who actually works for a Walmart and makes amazing money now. He stayed with it and has great benefits. Yeah. But I knew it wasn't for me. I know. I knew that just wasn't the life that I wanted. And I knew I wanted to move in a different direction. So me and my mom I have multiple beefs. Back when I was 14 years old, I don't have a coming out story. Mm -hmm. um, when I was 14 years old, my mom played me a sermon, basically telling me that I was going to hell. And then after that sermon, she told me, hey, I'm never going to be a mom that's cool with you being gay. So I never really came out because she kind of came out for me. Like, you she, know, she's like, I know. And yeah, and it's this, not cool. Yeah. And then, Jesus, man. And then so from that point on, like, we just never really talked about it. Yeah. So now I'm 19, 20 years old. I'm in this house. And in another weird way, she was kind of trying to prophesy over my life of what she thought I should be. Like, she, she has this idea that I'm this straight person when I, I'm obviously gay. Yeah. She's also trying to, like, tell me to give up my pipe dream of being a performer and try to take something more reasonable. And I did something radical. My life has been based on a lot of radical decisions. Back then, in the early 2000s, I'm not proud of it, but you could go into overdraft. And <laughs> oh, I remember now, that. Now you could, like, now if you... You, you know, slide your debit card and there's not enough money, it'll say stop and they won't let you proceed. I know. But back in the 2000s, like you could go into about three or four hundred dollars of overdraft. So I went on southwest.com, 
found the cheapest flight I could find. Thank you for the $9.99, $4.99 getaway flights. <laughs> Jesus. And you know you have to like buy a flight so far in advance for it to be super cheap. So yeah, I had yeah, to yeah. like rough it and stay in Texas for a little bit longer than what I wanted to. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know where I'm coming from. So I roughed it. I stayed in Texas. <laughs> For about oh a little extra God. time. Like it was like about January going to February. And um, you know this because this is how we met. But yeah. for the boating season, um, when they do those harbor cruises, there's an off season. It doesn't pick back up until February. So it yeah. kind of worked out that way. So I got back. I was 300. I, I landed in Boston, $300 in overdraft with like $12 in my pocket with Jeez. no idea how I was going to make it. Yeah. With no idea how I was going to make it. I got another job at Urban Outfitters. So I would work at Urban Outfitters. From 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. No, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. I'd have an hour off. The way it worked out, Urban Outfitters was right by the harbor, so I could work at Urban Outfitters and walk to right Spirit to of New York. Yeah, I had an hour off, and they back then they would feed us, and they took really good care of us. So if I, I would sometimes meet them in, t- in between a cruise, and I can get something to eat before my cruise started. This is still and in I, Boston. This is in Boston. Oh, yeah. So okay, I'd work good. Urban Outfitters in the morning, like yeah. from 8 to 4, Monday through Friday. And then whenever there was a cruise, it usually be like Tuesday through Sunday. I'd yeah. work a cruise in the evening every night, and then in the morning. And in the afternoon, because it worked out that I was a performer and a server, so I could maximize the sh- like my Your shifts. schedule. Yeah. yeah, so I could really work every single day if I needed to. Yeah. Um, and then I got another gig singing and dancing at weddings. That's why I knew what Medford was, because yeah. I would do bar mitzvahs and I would do weddings. And I, would, I was like the king of the wedding and bar mitzvah. Shout out to John Kelly, who basically <laughs> helped me become a better performer because he would just throw me out there and be like, hey, Matthew, you're really good at impersonating Michael Jackson. Hey, Matthew, you're really good at singing and dancing this song. Yeah. He would just throw me out there and make me just do it. And it got to a point where I was just super comfortable at doing it and performing that way. And before I knew it, two years had passed. I had a really shitty apartment in Boston, mice infested with a couch, a TV, and a mattress. Mm-hmm. That's all I had in my apartment. And when people would come over, I was the king of like pretending like everything was okay when it wasn't. So I'd always make up some story. Like I'd be like, oh, my furniture's coming in, or oh, I'm moving to this yeah, new place. I've already moved it. it. Yeah. All of these Jeez. different yeah. ideas, knowing that I didn't have anything. Yeah. Like knowing that I didn't have every, anything. And I, I never will forget, I was going to a shit. On a shift on the spirit of Boston. And I wasn't able to take a shower after a day or two because it was this is still my homeless period. This is before I had gotten the new apartment. And I was yeah. still just grinding it out, working three jobs. And um, one of the other performers came in and I was like, oh my God, I think I might smell. You know that moment when you think you might smell, That's but right. you don't know if you smell because you might be a little immune to the fact that you smell? <laughs> it's really hot today. That's me right now. When you well, came you in and gave me a hug, I was no, just like, you, you, Yo, don't, okay, you don't, you don't, you don't. But like, it was a moment where yeah. like, I, 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 I was second guessing it in my mind. And then a female performer who comes in, who I'm still really friendly with today. So I won't say her name because she'll probably be, feel horrible if she hears this. Yeah. But she comes in and she's like, oh my God, it reeks in here. And I was like, oh my God. And then so we change. They go upstairs first. And I just break down. Yeah. Like I break down. And it wasn't the fact that I smelled. It was the fact that I was working these three jobs. I was homeless. I had nowhere to go. And I had no real like finish line in sight. There was nothing in front of me that was saying, okay, if you do just a little bit more, you'll get to this point. I was just really just free balling, just going for it. Yeah, yeah. Just going for it. And during that time, I started to like feel like I was having heart attacks. 
like and I couldn't explain what they would be like it would feel like I was dying like my chest would tighten up and I couldn't breathe and sometimes I'd have to sit down and other times it would feel like I was right on like the verge of like passing out yeah. and I always used to experience that as a child but it was never as intense like I'd feel it really like getting tight and I'd feel myself feeling really sick but I didn't have the language for it I just thought it was something weird but when I was homeless it was just so intense and they would come like out of nowhere like I'd be serving a table and then out of nowhere I would just feel it or I'd be walking the streets and I would just feel it hmm. and I learned I later learned that I was having you know anxiety attacks yeah but at that time I didn't and that I remember that being one of the first really intense ones they had went upstairs I couldn't really re- I don't which is sad is because I could have revealed what was going on with me. And so many people probably would have helped me. Oh, if yeah. I had just said I was homeless, I have nowhere to go, instead of lying and masquerading and but it's pretending, hard. you know? There's, there's, there's not, it's not much harder than asking for help. Asking for help is the hardest thing in the world because we all have, for, no one wants to admit that they need help. Yeah. Especially in that situation, you're embarrassed, you feel insecure about it, you're, you're, you know, it, it's a huge damage to your own ego and pride to ever, uh, the world would be way better if people could ask for help, but at the same time, there's been plenty of times in my life I needed help and I did not ask anybody. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And, and I think back on it now and I, there's, I could have moved so much faster, but I was so convinced that all of these little broken pieces and all these things that didn't work out the way I wanted them to work out, people would judge me for. I already yeah. felt judged being gay. I already felt judged being black. And to be fully honest, I felt really judged going to a conservatory with a lot of really privileged people that were really supported. Yeah. Like, oh. being an actor is a privilege. Very much so. If yeah. you have like family that believes in you and that will come and fly out and pay for everything for you, like, I just was trying to keep up with an, an identity that I thought I needed to be in order to be accepted by them. Yeah, you know? it's, I felt... And they probably would have just accepted me the way I was, but I, I wasn't going to take that chance. But that's a big thing about conservatory life, especially like with people who are so privileged. So I, like, I went to a conservatory too. I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Art. Actually, when I met you, I was still going there. Mm. Because for those who don't know, I also worked for Spirit Cruises. Um, that's how <laughs> me and Maddie met. <laughs> Um, I think everyone knows that. I, I talk about it. There's something special about that job. I feel like I've, I made, it's just made a lot of great connections there. Me too. Um, but I remember I, it was at the time as I was going to Ada and I was working every night at Spirit Cruises because I needed to pay my way through school. And I used to get so infuriated with my classmates who were just like, well, why can't you rehearse? Oh, why can't you come yep. out? Oh, why can't you do this? I'm like, because you have a mommy who's paying for a West Village apartment, yep. paying all your tuition and giving you a, it's so many people at, as you said, it like being an actor is a privilege and you get there, especially going to school for acting and you mm. get there from two ways. You get there from working your fucking ass off with no support, with no support <laughs> being super. I was very lucky that my parents like supported me emotionally and whatnot. They, my parents were okay with me being an actor and mm. I was very, very lucky to have that. But as far as like, you know, financially and everything else is I, I had to go, I had to work my ass off. I was able to make tuition. I had to work 50, 60 hours a week on top of my 40 hours of class in order to have my apartment and to live and to keep going to school. I lived off of student loans and spirit cruises and because it is such a privileged thing. So you either work your fucking ass off to do it or you tell rich mommy and daddy that you know you think this would be fun you want mm-hmm. to do this and now i know some 
brilliant actors who come from a very privileged background who are very hard workers. And like, I'm not saying they aren't, but there's always that little part of you being the not rich kid being like, yo, if I had your resources, I could blow this shit up. But you know what? See, you were different. You would get infuriated. I was a master actor and I would pretend like I was someone else. Like I would make up stories about like where my money was coming from. I didn't want it to seem like I was doing everything just to keep my head above water. I wanted to fit in. I created alter egos. Like whenever I see someone who knew me in that period, I almost feel like I have to reintroduce myself because I I get to just be myself now, right? I've gotten to a place where I love myself enough to just be me. And then usually if someone, especially if someone calls me Maddie Fresh, (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Because that was the alter ego I created for myself. So when everyone's, when anyone steps to me and goes, Hey, what's up, Maddie Fresh? I'm like, Oh, I have to reintroduce myself. Not in a bad way or like even like discount who I was at that period because all of him has helped me be who I am today. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I just really had a hard time accepting everything about myself, accepting where I came from, and also accepting like the true devastation of being told like, this is how you get out. Like, this is what everyone does. They they go to school and they go to college and they do this, this and this, and it's trying to like live up to this, this laid out plan and then it not working out. Like I never really faced how devastating that was. Like it hurt, it hurt. And then to see people who I thought weren't as um, passionate as I was, who weren't working as hard as I was, just be able to coast really broke my heart. But you know what? It's all starting to work out beautifully and in a really nice way. And I'm happy that it worked out the way it did. And also, I have a lot of really good friends that I met there. And there's a lot of people that have known me through both sides, which has been great, right? Because they get to see progression and growth in a real way. Yeah. Like they get to see the person I am today, the impact that I have on people's lives. And they know that the person that they met 10 years ago needed to go through exactly who he was, needed to pretend to be eight or nine different people, needed to lie and run away from his past so then he can face his past and then use all of that hurt to then connect. Yeah. To then connect. That's the reason why I can teach a class on the Upper East Side to women who husbands have more than six figures and then on Friday go and teach a free class. Way more than six figures. Way more than six figures. Yeah, way more, right? And then go the following day to teach a free class in Harlem to people who are not even like economically secure enough to afford $10 at Planet Fitness. Yeah. Because I have experienced pain and I understand how it how I've always wanted to just be seen and be accepted as myself and so everybody universally wants that yeah and and the woman on the Upper East Side might be flipping out because her son didn't get into the school that he wanted to get into and the woman in Harlem could be flipping out because she's trying to get her kids out of foster homes yeah but their pain is the same to both of them I know and because I understand that it's the reason why I've been able to move through this business. And I just want people to know that, like, if even if you listen to this and you, we, me and Zach can't personally see you, we both have been in a place to where we have felt like we haven't been seen. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we do see you because yeah. we are you. Yeah. We are you. We, we are you. The people that inspire you the most, most likely came from a place to where they felt like they needed inspiration. That's why they have taken on the calling to then help other people. Yeah. To then help other people. 
It's amazing. Oh, it's so true. So, um, so you're at Boston for a little while. So when did you make the move to New York? I realized that <laughs> this is going to be funny, but yeah. uh, for some reason, <laughs> I thought that working three jobs was going to somehow equal a $50,000 tuition. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I thought the same thing. Um, and, I, and, and after like a couple of months, I'm like, okay, this shit ain't adding up. Like, oh, I can't yeah. work enough hours at Spirit Urban Outfitters and do enough bar mitzvahs to make enough money, you yeah. know, to pay oh, for I, this tuition. I did tuition. the same thing. Because like, I did uh, ADA for two years, and then I got to the point where they're like, Zach, would you like to join the... Uh, third year company i'm like oh i would love to that sounds great and they're like great it'll be another thirty five thousand dollars i was like no what do you mean i was like you guys saw i barely made it like i was i was like i was working every spare minute to make it through the first two years what the hell are you talking about oh that was such a funny day when i realized that because i i literally had to laugh like i was laughing i'm like this isn't there's not enough jobs that you can work matthew like yeah, your annual salary this. is not even exactly. fifty thousand dollars exactly like, there's no way you're gonna ever catch that exactly so i realized that and i said you know what texas isn't an option why not just go to new york mm-hmm. why not just be brave fortunately enough my job transferred yeah and boston and um pure energy entertainment the place where i did my weddings and my bar mitzvahs like the people i worked for they don't just work out of Boston. They do all of New England. So I could still work gigs with them. So if I was getting paid like 500 bucks, I can get like on a $20 mega bus. Yeah. And that would be worth it. So I'd oh, go totally. back to Boston or I'd go to Connecticut and I'd do whatever bar mitzvah for a wedding. And I was still able to keep all of that working. Um, so I transferred all of my jobs. Um, Spirit of Boston then became Spirit of New York. Um, I didn't keep Urban Outfitters because at that point I didn't need it. And I kept doing the weddings and bar mitzvahs. And I met this tall, handsome gentleman by the name of Zach Miko, <laughs> and he trained me on my first day at the I Spirit did. of North. I forgot I trained you. <laughs> he trained me. I remember I trained you, and then they explained to me that you worked. It, like I was like, not, you know, I, I took training very seriously for some reason. <laughs> and I remember then halfway through their training, because you just like politely, you're like, anything I said you did. And then like, you know, Manny's worked for Spirit for like three <laughs> years, right? And I was like, oh, shit. Uh... So you did. All right. Well, this is where the coffee cups go. (laughs) Everything else, you just do your thing. (laughs) Uh, That was so great because I've met so many amazing people. But it was nice because even when you think you're at your lowest point and like, as I I told you, I had that breakdown in the the dressing room of the spirit of Boston, like saying, oh, my God, I'm not going anywhere. This means nothing. And I stink. (laughs) Like I'm thinking all of this. Right. And I'm breaking down. And I stink. But it all meant something because all of the jobs that I was working was working could transfer to New York City. Like yeah. everything ended up being usable. Exactly. So even that moment that I thought I was like stuck, well, I wasn't stuck. Yeah. I was just waiting to then like transfer to New York. So we transferred to New York. Um, I thought I'd be happier. Mm-hmm. And for a little while I was. And then those heart attacks came back. Yeah. And they came back even more intense. And I felt myself more stressed. So I went to doctor and I went to doctor after doctor. Um, thank you, Obamacare, because I was not 28 at the time. So yeah, I could stay on my God. parents' insurance. Thank God. <laughs> so I was going to doctor to doctor. And um, each doctor was like, you're incredibly fit. You, 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 you're like super healthy. We've run every test. There's nothing wrong with you. Well, one day I was going to the Spirit of New York and I was on the train. And 
I was fine. And then I felt one of the heart attacks coming. So I'm used to them. So I was like, oh, okay, let me just breathe through it. Like, I don't, I'm apparently fine. And this is just normal. Yeah. So I, I have it. And the next thing I know, I wake up. And the train is freaking out. Like, I'm laid out on the ground. Like, I had passed out. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, whoa, what happened? And so people are freaking out. Um, they've stopped the train. They're holding. So whenever you're in New York City and you hear the train has been held for a sick passenger, I'm sorry if I was that sick passenger that day because I, I know how frustrating that can be. I know. On the other side. Of, <laughs> but it's on the side of that someone could literally be dying. Like, you yeah, know. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I didn't plan it. Like, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. And so I, I, everyone's like, oh, do you need an ambulance? Do you need this? Do you need that? And I say, no, I'm fine. And I just start walking off the train and I'm like, walking, this is at 59th Street, and I'm walking off at Columbus Circle, and people are following me because they don't trust that I'm okay. The train has stopped, you know, I'm like, no, I'm fine, because I know I can't afford an ambulance, and now I'm freaking out even more. So eventually they let me just walk away, and I find myself in Central Park, and I call my mom, and I was like, you know, since I've been a little boy, I've had these feelings. She's like, yeah, you'd always get like really sick, and you'd always have like these little heart yeah. attacks. And I was like, yeah, well, it's like worse. And I just passed out on the train. She was like, go to a doctor. Yeah. And I'm like, I've been going to a doctor. She's like, go to another one. So I go to another doctor. This one was an urgent care. This wasn't like a family practice doctor yeah. that I've been going to. And I went to urgent care, and I was like, look, I think I just had a heart attack on the subway. Yeah. And um, she runs every test possible. And they're like, there's no signs of you having a heart attack. And then she just grabbed my hand and she was like, I, I want to do something. I just need you to trust me. And I was like, okay, tell me about your life. I was like, what? She was like, tell me about your life. Like, where did you grow up? Like, just talk to me, like your life. And I'm like, um, I just told you I need a heart attack. Like, you need to prescribe me a drug or something. You need to fix this. You need yeah. to fix this. And she said, just trust me. And then she asked me, have you experienced any trauma? Have you had any true stress? And um, I told her some things that I'd never told anyone else. And she said, I think I know what this is. And she diagnosed me with anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And she said, just try this prescription. You can come back and see me and let me know if the heart attacks are stop she gave me the language of anxiety attack yeah but she said but she was trying to meet me where i was at she was like if the heart attack stop like just let me let me, just just trust me yeah so i go to Dwayne reed um i get the prescription and it worked cytoplorum it worked and they stopped and funny enough i became more depressed hmm. it made me sadder because it became real and I had to start really it, facing things. It so, became a, the reason that you were sick was because your real sad. life shit happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's easy to blame a medical anomaly and shrug it off, yeah. but when it's like, no, no, it's you've had trauma and you're very depressed and you, you, you know, it's catching up with you. Oh, it's fucking hard. Man. It made me so sad, like yeah. so sad. And I'll never forget. I was crossing the street to my apartment and I had my earphones blazing and it made me like a zombie, like, Full disclosure, I was, like, numb to everything. Like, I would watch things that would make me really laugh. Yeah. And when I was on medication, like, I would feel nothing. Like, I would look at, like, I would be like, okay, can I get aroused? Couldn't get aroused by anything. Like, it made me a legit zombie. Jeez. And one day I was crossing the street to my apartment, and I misread the walk sign. And I stepped out in front of the street, and a car got so close to me that the bumper actually touched my leg. 
because I was walking through a green light yeah. and he's blowing on his horn and he's cussing me out through the window and I just take my earphones out and I just look at him. I don't feel an ounce of fear. And I just walk across the street. And in that moment I said, I need to get off these drugs. Yeah. That's that's not normal. Like like I felt no adrenaline, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So um I said, Okay, if I'm gonna get off the drugs, then I have to like really pursue happiness and pursue something that's completely the opposite of depression and anxiety. So I kicked the drugs and I immediately like had like a true reaction to it. Like my anxiety attacks got worse. Like my body like had gotten used to the drugs and needed the drugs. And so that month was really, really hard. And ironically enough, I didn't plan it. It was January. So it was like new year. I'm going to try this. I'm not going to use the drugs. I'm just going to try to just, you know, change everything. Um, January was super hard. It was super hard. And especially New York City in January is bleak. Oh, yeah. There's no sunlight and it's super cold. No (laughs) one's happy. No. No. And I did something even more radical. I quit all three of my jobs. Yeah. And I said, what makes you happy? Working out in fitness. Okay. Um, What do you want to do then? You want a personal train? Do you want to teach fitness? Oh, I think I've taken fitness classes before. I can teach fitness. I think I'd be good at that. Yeah. Okay. So how do we start this? And I went to Equinox and I got a job making minimum wage, um, working the front desk. Now, this was still while I was working Spirit. I had quit the other the other jobs, but I still was holding on to Spirit of New York just for security. Yeah. And then I eased my way into Equinox, the front desk. And then once my shifts got enough and they made me a manager on duty, I knew I could leave Spirit. Yeah. And so I left Spirit. And I pursued the dream of being a fitness instructor. And when I did, I was so scared and I was so afraid that I invited my best friend, Gabriel Lopez, over. And I had a ton of men's health magazines. I read it every month Yeah. to learn exercises. And I was using it to kind of personal train some of my friends before I like became certified in personal training because I would just take the workouts from the book. Yeah. And we took all of those men's health magazines and we cut them up. And we literally wallpapered my walls to my bedroom. And in between, like, the, the pictures, wherever there was an open space, we put an inspirational quote. Because I've always believed in visualization, like, visualizing something for yourself. Yeah. I've always believed in that. So I needed to create a space to where I would wake up and I would just see, like, men in the fitness industry killing it. Yeah. And so whenever I felt bleak or whenever I would get a no or whenever something wouldn't work out, I would go home and I would just look at my walls. And I would just be inspired by it. And me and Gabriel had a really emotional moment because I had a really awesome career-defining moment last month happen. And he, call, he sent me a video message crying because he was like, I was with you in your room just five years ago yeah. where we just, we just visualized you just teaching classes. We didn't think that it would reach the level that it's reached so quickly. Yeah. And it inspired him to then like put something in front of him. Like, and, and people at home, if you're listening to this podcast, like you don't have to go as crazy as wallpapering your bedroom, but maybe your lock screen. Yeah, is, is, exactly. Every time you pick up your phone, you see your dream as your lock screen yeah. or something that inspired you. So you continually see an image of what you're moving towards. 
And I did. And the next thing I knew, I was I was walking into Equinox one day and I was saying to James Irvin, who's become like a big brother to me. He's one of the managers over fitness. I was like, I'm going to teach for you one day. And I would always say that. And like the managers and the different people would laugh at me, like not like, ha, ha, ha you won't. But more so like this kid is bold as hell. Like he got this little front desk job yeah, yeah. at one of the top gyms of the country. And he's telling us what he's going to do. Exactly. What happens is when you speak that way, people then call you on it because six months pass. And they're like, you ready to audition? I wasn't. But I made myself ready. Yeah. And then the rest was history. It started with Zumba because I was a performer. I could dance. So I learned Zumba. And then from Zumba, another instructor saw me and be like, you'd be really good at body conditioning. And then I went from body conditioning to high intensity interval training. And then that went into cycling. And then that went into personal training. And then I went from doing on camera work. And it just kept happening and happening and happening at different gyms, at different boutiques. But I always, along the way, remembered that wall. Yeah. And that wall in that room was my safe place as I was just checking off things on my list and then also achieving things that weren't on my list. They just kept coming in. And even now talking about it, it's, it's, it feels like I'm hovering over and watching it and not fully living it mm -hmm. because I was going so quickly that it all was happening so fast. Yeah. And I was crazy. I would teach like 25 classes a week. Oh, yeah. Like I was nuts. And I, in between that, I would find if I could personal train or I could find if I could also still perform. Like... So at the same time, I was like being fully aware of everything that I was doing. I couldn't be fully aware of everything I was doing because if I stopped and thought about it, I probably would have stopped. I'd be like, this is crazy. Yeah, this is It was like much. finding that balance of just doing and accepting at the same time doing self-care, which I didn't do. I'm learning how to do that now. Yeah. But I am a true example that if you believe hard enough and if you set something in front of yourself and just refuse to like fall into the negativity or listen to whatever someone else decides that you should be like this fitness thing is hard. Like if you listen to this and you you're hoping for tips to become a trainer or to do good fitness in New York city, it's really hard. And it's, it's yeah. And then and I'm just going to also keep it real. The majority of the gyms and boutiques do not care about their clients. Mm -hmm. They care about making money. They care about how many people they can get into the door. That's why I've kind of bumped heads with a lot of them because I picked this job because I was in such a dark place and I needed something to not only fuel me with light, but then I could then spew that light out and hopefully inspire people. And I yeah. think that's the reason why I was successful so quickly is because that was always my intention. Like I genuinely want to make people happier and yeah. not just aesthetically. I want to make you just move through life with more confidence and more joy and more love. And a lot of gyms don't want that. And they hire trainers that don't want that either. They, they hire trainers. Uh, it's that, that's something. So I've taken a bunch of your classes of where I, and one of the things that is so different about the way you teach versus a lot of the other people I've taken is you said it's not aesthetically. You've never in your class, at least while I've been there, have never mentioned aesthetics have mm. never mentioned beauty have never mentioned stuff like that that's one of the big reasons that people like me who have been bigger their whole life and whatnot are terrified of going into a fitness class yes. are terrified of doing group fitness or terror because we go in there and we're like we are not one of the group we are not here yeah. we are not these tight lululemon ladies and and mm. these like super shredded ripped guys so it's very intimidating i never thought i would take a group fitness class in my life until i took your group fitness i would I mean, you were the first person you were the first 
like like class instructor I ever had because you know I still worked out but I went to the gym by myself where I could kind of hide in the corner and it scared the hell out of me to go to a group class um but the way you teach is so loving and you and, and I you feel cared for in your classes and that makes a world of difference and that's something I notice when I go to your class versus other class is when I see you teach I see all body types in the room yep every single time I go to other classes and there is that one body type in the room and the one person who maybe isn't of that body type the instructor's like oh we're gonna do this you're gonna have a six-pack you're gonna get there you're working towards that and I was afraid of fitness until you came along and told me that it's about feeling better. It's not about looking better. You're like, there's nothing wrong with the way you look. There's nothing wrong with the way anybody mm-hmm. looks. It's about you feeling better and more confident in yourself. Anytime you like, I remember cause I did some personal training with you too. And we never mentioned aesthetics. You were just like, I want you to feel stronger. I want you to feel like you're able to do this. I want you to feel like you're able to walk through this day and take on anything you can. And I think there needs to be more instructors like that, especially for the like plus size and body positive community out there. Mm -hmm. I feel like bigger people have been driven away from gyms for that for, for so many reasons, just for not fitting in. How many times have I, I got furious the other day. Um, There's one gentleman on my Facebook that I used to work with when I did grounds crew work. And he's a very, he's a very nice man. He's a good family man. We do not see eye to eye politically (laughs) or on, on most things. We do not see eye to eye. And I remember he posts stuff every now and then where I'm where it's just like this old school bullshit machismo attitude. And I get really upset with it, but he posted this thing of like these two, uh, you know, very, very heavy women. And he was, you know, making fun of them and everyone's laughing at them. And it's this big joke. And these two women were in gym clothes on a treadmill Mm. and they're just, and I was ever laughing and having a good time. Like, can you believe this? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, where the fuck do you want big people to be? You are, you spend all day telling them they are pieces of shit for the way they look. And then they have the audacity to ignore what you say and go to a gym anyway, or, Mm. or, or, and try to better themselves. And people, I never... I can't understand that. There was that, um, I can't remember her name, that Playboy Centerfold the other day, a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, they got in trouble because she like took a picture of a woman yeah. fucking showering at the gym. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was an older, heavier lady, but it was like, she's at the gym. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? This woman's working her ass off to try to better her life. And these, these some people, they'll still pick on them. And it's that attitude in gyms that, have scared so many people well, off. I mean, well, to keep it real, like I try to do, mm-hmm. I got into fitness because I was extremely hurt and I was extremely damaged. And I was looking for a way to not only help people build their confidence up, but to also build my confidence up, right? Yeah. Well, those people that are extremely fit that do those type of things also come to the gym because they are extremely hurt and they're extremely damaged. And their only self-worth is what they look like. Mm-hmm. So if you have nothing else but that, 
you lash out in stupid ways. You lash out by taking pictures of people because you're like, at least I'm not that. It's the same thing as racism, right? You always have this idea of having to be superior to someone because you feel inferior in some yeah. way. It's the same thing. Like a lot of these trainers are hurt people who now have a platform and now Instagram has like, you know, elevated that platform for a lot of people yeah. to say, look at me, I'm not damaged, I'm not hurt, and I'm and I am going to not only try to inspire you to be better, I'm going to also inspire you to hopefully want to be more like me because that will then validate my existence, right? Yeah. So when I look at you and say, don't you want six-pack abs? I'm saying, have you seen my six-pack abs? Yeah. That's what I'm really saying, yeah. right? Because everyone doesn't want six-pack abs. No. And I don't want all of my students to have six-pack abs. I want you to be functional. And you know what? A lot of fitness trainers won't tell you this because they probably won't make as much money, but a lot of fitness and body type stuff is genetic boo-boo. And it doesn't matter how many crunches you do and how many planks you do, you're not going to look like said, said trainer. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. <laughs> you have no idea how validating it is to hear someone in the fitness world say that. Yeah. Because I used to say that all the time. They're like, oh, well, you got to look like this person. I'm like, that person has looked like that since he was 12 years old. Yep. Like, I know that dude. We grew up with him. Yep. He, you know, and I'm, I'm watching this dude house 30 cheeseburgers. He just happens to be this. But for some reason, you're telling me I have to sacrifice everything that means something to me in my life to look like this dude who won the genetic fucking lottery yep. doing it. It doesn't make sense. That's why I love the approach of of function in Yeah, fitness. functional fitness. Can you walk up a flight of stairs without getting winded? Yeah. Can you bend over and pick up your son without bending your knees? Do you have enough hamstring flexibility? Yeah. Like, I want you to be functional in your life. Yeah. And then if you're functional, first of all, you're going to be happier, right? Because you can do more things. But secondly, you're going to have a sense of yourself that's deeper than aesthetics. Because boo-boo, that Instagram model in 50 years is not going to look like that. Yeah. And you don't know what they're doing to look like that. They may not be doing the right stuff. And then you might be actually doing things that make you more functional. So when you're in your 60s and 70s, an old dude that has biceps and shoulders that are ginormous because all he does is lift weights all day, but he has no mobility in his arms. (laughs) And you're reaching and you're able to grab things and you don't need a ladder. Yeah. You might be on a better track. Yeah. And, And keep in mind that when anyone says something hurtful usually it's coming from a place of them being hurt like I, I think of my worst moments in my life where I've shamed someone like thankfully I feel like I've gotten to a place now to where I'm a pretty decent human being I'm always thinking about people's feelings I'm mm-hmm. hugely empathetic but when I was going through like the deepest part of my self-discovery with my hurt I wasn't I was mean I would say really mean things I would be just really hurtful and I have to empathize with people who do those things because I know where it's coming from. Now that doesn't mean you have to be a subject to it. That means you have every license to tell them what they're doing is wrong. That also means that if you want to step away, you can step away as well. Yeah. But at the same time, I try to always try to find my end because that's what being a trainer is, right? What is my end? Everyone's different. Everyone's looking for something different. Yeah. And the overall theme is that they want to be seen, but everybody wants something different. So I'm always playing that mind game and trying to figure out what that is and like how can I crack that first little that that first shell that then just lets everything else open up. Yeah, you know, I'm always thinking about that. And that's wonderful. It it takes a a long. 
I, empathy is hard for people to learn, I think, is how to empathize with another person. So, Especially if they're being mean to you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're like, forget you. Why am I? Exactly. Bye. You know, I, I know. get that. No, it's so true. And, and But it's, I think, is the most important thing we can have in the world. Like, oh, I mentioned earlier that um, the gentleman that I used to be friends with who posts horrible things all the time, we do not agree politically. He posts things that literally offend me at mm-hmm. all times. But I don't block him and I don't like, I, I never like unfollow him on my feed. I wanna see every single thing he's posting because to me there's reasons behind all of it. I, I realized I wasn't gonna get anywhere. These last two years have been very difficult, not just on a political spectrum, but from like for our country, it just unity as a whole. And I was like, there. The divide between right and left has never been more extreme. And I was like, I don't know how this divide will ever close. And I think it has to come from this, from empathy. It has to come from this slow thing. Is where I have to, I look at this guy and he posts terrible things that mm. I do not agree with on a regular basis. But you start, when you watch all of it and you honestly, you take in that terrible things, you start to realize there's a stream of events. He is worried because he's worked his whole life very, very hard, isn't where he wants to be, isn't where he wants his family to be. He doesn't feel, he has a family, he wants them protected, he wants them to feel safe for whatever reason, he doesn't feel like they are safe in the country right now, and he wants, you know, he he has traditional beliefs, but that's because that's what he raised with, and that's what, and those traditional beliefs that even though they'll have, there are bigoted aspects to it, I come from a good place. They come from that he believes like the traditional family structure is the strongest way. And it's like, even though I don't agree with that at all, you kind of look that like hatred and bigotedness and whatnot could sometimes come from, if you wind it all the way back, come from a place of they were trying to do the right thing at one time in their life. And someone told them, this is the right way to think and this is the right way to do. And not all of us get to come and live in New York City and follow our dreams and and change our way of thinking. When I first moved to New York City, I was very conservative just because, you know, my family was conservative and I was raised that way and I really believed in that. I was always socially liberal, which I didn't even know what that meant at the time. But since, you know, I grew up doing theater, so I was always very, you know, open socially, but in my head I was still like a very much a conservative like i have never said this before in 2008 it was my first presidential election i voted for john mccain yeah. and i regret that i don't because i think john mccain was a good man i don't now in the past he's done a lot of you know years later he's done a lot of things i don't agree with politically and i you know wouldn't have <laughs> the zach now in 2008 wouldn't vote for him but you know, it's something to think about is my ideals and my mindset was changed by experiencing other people Mm -hmm. and all these people who do, who post these terrible things and whatnot, 99% of them have never left their hometown. They've never left. They haven't met other people. They're afraid of other people and other cultures because they've never met them. They've never hung out with them. And you know, maybe their one time experiencing another person was negative. So they just stick to their little bubble and their little thing. And that's why they hold on so dearly to it. And it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It, it's a weird, it's a weird stance. I'm still trying to figure it out in my head, but it's kind of like, I have to look at 
these people that I vehemently disagree with and think say horrible, disgusting things. And I have to remember that I, they're still a person and they're yep. still a human. And I feel like, and to be able to go past the way they've hurt you now. Yeah. And like, which is to, the hardest it's, thing. It's super yeah. hard. Yeah. It's super, super hard. I'll give you like the ultimate quick story on empathy. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this a little bit before we went on air, but um, when I first started in the fitness industry, instructors were really nasty to me. Yeah. Really, really nasty to me because I kind of was making a day job out of something that was their career and was being successful at it really fast. Yeah. Um, and because of that, like there'd be so many moments where I'd have to force myself to walk into rooms that I knew that I was going to walk into a room and say hello and no one would respond. And I would walk into a room and say hello and no one instructor would say hello to me. And I wouldn't get it and I wouldn't pick up on it. And then I realized there were moments in my theater career where I would have these people who didn't really care about acting or singing and dancing. And they would get a certain role and they would book it. And all of the other actors were so mean to that person during the whole project, right? And the person would be like, well, I'm just kind of doing this. My real dream is to be a doctor, like blah, 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 you know? And they kind of just walked into a role, whether whether it's like because of their look, or maybe they are extremely talented and they just don't care as much as you, but like there's multiple reasons why things happen. And I remember as I was going through all of this with the, the instructors, I was like, oh my God, I'm now that guy that I was mean to. Mm-hmm because I've come into their arena, into their space, and quickly I'm being given these opportunities to work at all these different places, and my classes started doing well pretty fast. Yeah. And these people have been doing this for like five years, 10 years, some of them even 15 years, 15 to 20 years, and I'd never seen like a, fo- a sold out class, yeah. or I'd never seen like a prime time slot, or never seen like the things that I was getting to do so quickly. Um, there was one moment where I had replaced an instructor on a class that wasn't doing so well. Um, class, and I, I didn't intentionally do it, but I, in the training process, I ended up taking that person's class just because they were an instructor that was on the list of classes that you should take, just so you can learn more about the format. So I went t- during that time slot mm-hmm. to see that instructor, and it was like, okay, like 10 people in the room, right? And so the way fitness works is if you've been in the business longer or if you're just a closer friend to the manager, <laughs> you get the better time slots. Yeah. And so that instructor wasn't selling that time slot correctly. So they took that instructor off of it and they gave it to me because I was a new guy. And I said, sure. Week pass, 12 people. Week pass, 15 people. Week pass, 25 people. Week pass, 30 people. Week pass, 40 people. Week pass, sold out. And then all of a sudden, I have to hear from one of my managers that this said instructor was saying all these illegal things that I were doing in my class that didn't follow along with the format of the class. And I was like, first of all, this instructor has never taken my class. And secondly, like, I wouldn't even know how to do that. Like, they were saying some, like, weird things that I had done. I was like, I wouldn't even know how to instruct that out. So it's not true. Yeah. And I stepped back and I said, oh, my God, I know what this is. I know what this is. And I remembered those actors that I wasn't as kind to. Mm-hmm. And I said, I will never do that again because it is not my fault that I've just so happened to have come into this environment and for whatever reason have connected more yeah. and, and been able to build up this lot. It's not my fault. So it wasn't that person's fault. Like I always 
am genuinely happy for a person. And even if I'm not, I take a moment to take a breath and say, their success has nothing to do with you or your talent and your gift. Exactly. It has nothing to do with you. Remove yourself out of this. Take yourself out of their success. And when I say that, I mean take yourself out of the place where you can't be happy to see someone else be happy unless you're happy. Yeah. And I had to learn that lesson by being on the other side of it. Yeah. And this is the greatest thing ever. You ready for it? I'm so ready. that time slot, <laughs> because that time slot was such a sucky time slot, they would book like training sessions after that time slot because the studio would be empty because yeah. it wasn't a busy time. And so <laughs> this is how God works. This is how life works when you're just kind. Because I was continually kind to that instructor yeah. after that had happened, like continually kind to that instructor. They were doing a training for all the master instructors after that class, right? Because they knew the studio would be empty. So the class is sold out. Doors open up and all these people are telling me how great the class is and I'm like thanking them. And they're all walking out past the master instructors, most of which who had really negative things to say about me. Mm -hmm. And they got to watch a full class walk out of a class that was dying. And yeah. I didn't have to be petty. I didn't have to say anything. Just let your success and you just your success speak for itself and just be kind. And you know what I did? Said hello to them like I always did and walked off and kept it moving. Yeah. And kept it moving. And I will never treat an actor or any other person that I feel like is gaining something that I want that way again because of that experience. Mm -hmm. And I've also just learned that hurt people just do stupid things when you're hurt and you want something. I know. When you want something. Like it's been like the, the petty things that I've had to deal with with instructors because of my quickness to adapt to whatever environment I've been in in the fitness industry has been really hard. And it's also, I think, affected a lot of the people that I've tried to bring along with me. Yeah. Like I will try to introduce like new instructors and new people that I think would be really, really good at teaching and because they're connected to me or because they don't know the right people at the right moment they don't get in because yeah. of that like because it's competitive yeah it's competitive like teaching at a regular gym like equinox um new york sports club and all these different places that have a name are easy to teach at because they have a built-in following just because of their name recognition right yeah. so whenever like an instructor posts a class of like their sold out equinox class i'm like okay like that's the equivalent of me going to mcdonald's and opening up like a franchise on 42nd Street and be like, look, I just opened the most popping new restaurant, yeah. like in the middle of Times Square. And it's you're like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You but did. the boutique world is so much harder because yeah. they're, they're, they're paying literally 35 to $40 a class. Yeah. And that's different. And it, it, it takes a different type of grind. So it brings something out of people that's really, really interesting. And stress and money really reveal people yeah. in really interesting ways. And so I would be lying if I said that everyone will support you, not just probably in this dream, but any dream, especially if you have a level of success. But I will say that if you can find a way to not let it affect you and also continually be kind to those people regardless, it will just light your fire quicker. Mm. Like the number one thing um, that I take away from any type of feedback that I get that isn't um, from a client, but like from a gym or a manager and like a person that runs the front desk is that I'm easy to work with. Yeah. That is my favorite compliment like that. Yeah. I come in and I do my job and I leave the place hopefully better than when I walked in. Yeah. I don't talk negatively about other instructors. I make that my vow. I don't talk negatively about the brand. I try to just always do my best to lift up a room.
Yeah. Like if you can do that, you're golden. Like you're golden. Yeah, that's great. And it's true. It's it's amazing that like, because I'm, I'm I've done this exact same thing of the I've gotten very jealous and very petty about people that I think are like popping and doing like successful. And it's and I don't know when that's ingrained into us when we're little to like hate on somebody for doing well. And it took me years to realize I'm like what I should be doing. And that like now as I try to do it, I'm hating on this guy for getting roles. I didn't get for mm-hmm. being successful for doing all this stuff. And I'm, I'm hating on this guy for all these reasons. What I should be doing is this guy is super successful. What is this guy doing yep. that I'm not doing? That's making it super successful. Now there's, there's, you can always learn something from some from any other person, and it's like, especially and in the acting world, you know, I'd shrug it off. I'm like, well, you know, he's hotter than me, <laughs> so, yeah. and, and a lot of the times that is the truth. <laughs> I mean, it, like, I mean, you know, t- sadly, like in uh, entertainment, modeling, fitness, it's a very shallow world. It could be like, yeah, he's way better looking. Of course, he got the job, but he's not gonna, but. He keeps getting jobs. You're not going to mm-hmm. keep getting jobs because you're good looking. Brad Pitt is a gr- beautiful man. He wasn't getting jobs because he was beautiful. He was beautiful and he was phenomenal yeah. at the same time. So it's like you got to look at those people and take what do you do? What, what is it about you that's making you so successful? And how can I incorporate that into what I do? And that's not betraying what you do. So people are just like, well, I'm only going to be me and I'm not going to try to be anyone else. I'm going to be I'm like, I'm not saying try to be anyone else. Be you, mm-hmm. but if this guy's doing one thing, if it's as simple as you watch this dude shake someone's hand and look him in the eye every time you see him and be like, yo, I should try that. Yep. Something is simple. Yep. Super simple. And if you're really lucky, become that person's friend. Yeah. Like, like become that person's friend. If they're not a jackass or a jerk, become that person's friend. Yeah. It will help you not only motivate yourself in an interesting way, but you will continue to learn things that you didn't know. You know. Yeah, I can say I had a, a petty moment just last year with a guy I'm very good friends with, and it was the same thing. His Instagram was popping a little more than mine, and this was at the time where Instagram followings really, really mattered. They still do, but this time even more so. And he, I had more followers than he did, but he had so many. He had better interactions with everybody. And I couldn't understand why. And I started getting down on myself. And I'm like, this guy's going to take all my jobs and he's going to do all this. And then I realized, I'm like, no, no, no. We're different people. We have different looks. He's a great guy. Let me see what he's doing that's making his Instagram pop more than mine. And then I looked and I watched and I saw his thing. And I realized the reason he's getting more comments than me is the caption of every single photo he did. He asks his audience a question. He directly engages. He doesn't just say, here's a picture of me. He's like, what do you guys think of this? What do you guys think of that? And now it's something I do. Yeah. Instead of hating on this guy, I found the most valuable trick that's going to yeah. help me in my career and help me going. It's, it's important to... And it also goes back to what we have been saying the whole time. People just want to be seen. So yeah. you just asking that question, they're like, oh, let me respond. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. People want that connection. And that's, what, so, that's what people want. Yeah. Especially in a, in a world where, like, for, for a lot of people, because of social media and screens, you feel more disconnected on a personal level. I personally have love social media. I feel like I'm connecting to more people more significantly because of it. I'm talking to people on the other side of the world that I never could have talked to and having significant interactions with them. But it does, I can, I can see why people think it limits you on a personal level because you become used to doing everything through a screen. I mean, I remember 
when you and I were growing up, I got... <laughs> <laughs> it was when uh, AIM Instant Messenger existed. Instead of sitting down with my friends and talking to them, I started running home every day yep. to talk to my friends and yep. not hang out with them, but just to type to them on the thing. And it's so I understand where that's like, okay, you're limiting some human interaction there because we should have just been hanging out. <laughs> Instead, we hung out on the internet. <laughs> like, I used to go to that guy's house. Now I'm just going to go talk to him. <laughs> but. It's it's people exactly as that people want to be seen, people want to someone else's success doesn't define your failure. Yeah. Like it's it it's if anything always there's such power and that's one of the reasons I started doing this podcast because I wanted to bring on people that I love, people that inspire me. There is so much power in surrounding yourself with positive people who are working hard and succeeding. Mm -hmm. it, it changes your life, because it changes the quality of person. If you're hanging around with people who are just negative and shitting on everything and not doing anything, that's what you become. Yep. You surround yourself with people who are lifting you up, who are lifting themselves up, lifting up their community, and doing and trying to make the world just a tiny bit better place. Now you're that person too. Yep. You're really defined by the company you keep. And it, it's, it's crazy. So a lot of my listeners, um, I know cause until a couple of years ago, I was the same way. Maybe have not been to a gym in a long time <laughs> because it's terrifying for big people, especially we don't want to do it. it. It's, I don't want to be surrounded by people for someone who is so afraid of say group fitness specifically. Do you have any tips or tricks in trying to help them get into it or, or what to look for to when, get into it when you step into a classroom i want you to go into the classroom with the mindset that this is about nobody else but me and when you think that that includes the instructor mm -hmm. yes listen to their cues yes listen to everything they have to say about form yes be ultra present but at the same time i feel like a lot of people are afraid of group fitness because they're vulnerable mm -hmm. and they're afraid of being called out or being made to feel like they are not enough, especially if it's their first class. So they're not even really taking in anything. They're more so worried about like what the other participants might be thinking or even oh the God. instructor, right? It's An instructor can set the mood by eat, just doing, by a look. Oh, yeah. You can walk into a room and the instructor is just frazzled because their train is late and look at you crazy. And if you're vulnerable, you're like, oh my God, he thinks I, don't, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> Laura makes fun of me because there's, there's one, because, uh, you know, I've been taking a lot of classes because Laura's into fitness, too. And I, um, if, if I meet a new instructor for the first time, I will never come back to their class if they say something. Like, like there was a girl recently where we took her class, and she was okay, and she was doing well. And then she's just like, you doing okay? You keeping up, Zach? And I went, no, I'm not coming here <laughs> ever fucking again. Fuck you. Like, don't call me out like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm clearly struggling. Like, like, come, like. There's a big difference, I think, and a lot of instructors are mean. A lot of them well, are mean, I mean when you were talking before. And I think you do such a great job with there's a big difference between yeah. encouraging somebody and pushing somebody. Pushing, I mean, I, in the way I'm using pushing, there's like, it can be really aggressive. And there are times where, like, me personally, I know my body and people will be pushing me like, do this, do this. I'm like, my leg doesn't go that way yet. I don't know what to tell you. It's not going to happen. But encouraging someone and kind of guiding them through the process, 
that's what brought me to group fitness is finding instructors who could kind of guide me rather than yell and force me. Yeah, and everyone responds to different types of motivation. There's people yeah. that live for that. Oh yeah, there's people, people that want to come in. They want to. They want you to be told. Like they yeah. want you to tell them that they're fat. Yeah. Like they want you to be mean as can be. Yeah. But you know what? If that's your thing, whatever gets you to the gym, go for it. But what I've noticed is that people are so horribly insecure. Yeah. That even the person that's motivated by that, if you catch them on the wrong day, that your fat pig isn't the same your fat pig was two days ago if they got on a scale that morning and yeah. feel like a fat pig. Yeah. So it's a very dangerous thing to do, so I don't mess with it. I don't mess with it. I, I, I rather say I see you, I see that you're working hard. Um, if I feel like I can get something more out of you, I always like to present like a modification in a fun way. So if I feel like someone has a weight that's too light, I feel like someone can jump when they're choosing not to jump, I like come over and I'll like jump with them. Yeah. I'll be like, I'll like make a funny joke and switch to put like the same, leave the same weights that they got that might be the lighter weight by them, but also like put the heavier weight beside that. So like, hey, there's an option. Yeah, if, if you, you want to grab it. Yeah, try yeah. like four or three reps and see how it feels. And then they find out that they can do the four or three reps and they pick up the heavier weights as opposed to you're being lazy. Why do you have the lighter weights? Here's yeah. the heavier weights. Yeah, it's, it's tricky because I know a lot of people that really love that mean like yeah. boot camp sergeant Ugh. motivation. But like I said, people are so vulnerable that you can't fully manage your emotions. And today that might be how you feel. Especially people and from, tomorrow might feel different. Yeah. And especially I know, and I come from like, you know, the plus size community. So I know most people in the plus size community do not respond <laughs> to yeah, the drill sergeant thing. It just goes right back to like, oh, you're yelling at me and making fun of me like every fucking other person. Yeah. And even though it's group fitness yeah. and I love the sense of community that I get to create, like I try to always create a culture of community, yeah. no matter even no matter if it's like a class of 12 people or if it's a class of 60 people i want you to feel like you're in a group doing this together but at the same time like i was saying if you're stepping into your first group fitness pet class whether it's cycling or if it's fitness or it's body conditioning come in and say this is about me mm -hmm. this is about me taking time and money and effort to improve myself i don't care what the person to the left or right of me does and when I say that, I mean maybe they're doing really advanced movements that aren't accessible to you yet. Mm -hmm. I'm here. The level that I'm at is perfect. And perfection is a made-up idea, especially on the first day. Like, I am the first person to tell you that I hate being the new guy. Yeah. I hate being in an unfamiliar environment. I'd rather step in and know everything and just crush it. But you never learn anything when you're just always the know-it-all, you're the best. Yeah. You have to open yourself up to this space of not, not knowing, trusting that, and that being okay, and then also saying, I'm not gonna be perfect. Yeah. I'm not gonna be perfect, this is not going to go perfectly, and that's fine, but each time you come back, it gets a little bit easier, mm -hmm. and you access a little bit more, and you pick up things, and you're like, oh, that person knows this because they've been in class now yeah. for, three years and yeah. the body just adapts to anything. It really, really does. And I do have people of all body types, people that you'd walk in and you would say, oh my God, like they don't look fit at all. And they're crushing all of the advanced elements. Yeah. Like you can't judge a book by its cover by what a person looks like. Yeah. So even, is not an aesthetic. No, so yeah. when you walk yeah. into the room, you're already thinking everyone's judging you, but yeah. they've already seen a big girl last week yeah. <laughs> do 20 burpees. <laughs> <Exactly>. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly, man. And the big girl next to you that you probably standing by in the back, you're like, okay, we two big girls. Okay, so we got each other. And then she starts box jumping and doing damn near flips like she's Simone Biles. <laughs> and you're like, damn, right? So you can't judge that yeah. way. You have to just worry about yourself. Make it about you. Try to make a friend. Yeah. Try to make a friend. I, I, I was doing this um, challenge for the month of July in my classes where I made everyone raise their hand and say their name. It's unheard of in the New York group fitness scene. Oh, hell yeah. I said everyone, in, and one day I was doing like colors. I like say your favorite color or say something interesting about yourself, but it just ended up taking too much time. So I just got to a place where you just raise your hand and say your name. Yeah. And just like that, by people raising their hand and saying their name, I would notice like during the breaks, someone would look over and be like, Jessica, you crushed that. That's great. Or they'd look over and be like, or not, even if they don't say the name again, they feel a little bit more connected because yeah. we've had a small introduction. Yeah. It makes a difference. Like I want people to use fitness, not just as a physical way to better themselves, but do whatever you're doing in that room all throughout your day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. Like I, I say every class, you are beautiful, you are powerful, you are stronger than you think. And when I say you are beautiful, that means the way you are right in this moment is beautiful. The fact mm -hmm. that you have breath, that you're living, breathing human being. Like if you think of like all of the organs in your body and the way the blood pumps through your veins, like that's really awesome and beautiful and miraculous. But we don't even think about that, right? Yeah. When I say you are powerful, I'm saying that you have the power to change and shift anything you want in your life. Like showing up to a group fitness class is a powerful choice. Yeah. It's saying I'm taking control over my body. I'm taking control over my health. I'm doing something for me. And you will take that same power into the relationship that you know you should have left six years ago. And that same power when you need to address your boss and ask for a raise. Like you will take that same mindset. And then finally, when I say you are stronger than you think, there's no hole too deep that you can't climb out of if you're alive. Yeah. If you woke up with a breath, that's an opportunity to fix anything, whether that's something you did wrong or some crazy occurrence that you had no control of. Yeah. The fact that you wake up is a powerful thing that you can then use to move forward. You are stronger than you and I, I said that miraculously out of my mouth in my, my second fitness class during the cool down. My first class didn't go as well. And I said, I don't know why that didn't go the way I thought it should go. Yeah. And I said, you know what? You have to remember your intention. Why did you start this? To make people feel better about themselves because you felt really depressed and you felt really shitty. So what do people need? They need to be loved. They need to know that they're empowered, so it's more than just the workouts. So I said, okay, I'm gonna end my class by playing a really inspirational song, and I'm gonna start saying a mantra. Mm. And at that point, I had made up a mantra. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just gonna see whatever organically comes out. Yeah. And so before every class, I take a moment to myself. Sometimes I get a little bit more time, depending on if I'm teaching back to backs, but I take a moment, I take a breath in and out, and I say, what is your intention? Your intention is to help people. Your intention is to feel better about the impact that you're having on this earth. So how do we do that today? And then I go into class. I don't do anything without the power intention. And then I get to the end of class and hopefully I've achieved that in some way. And I remember that second class, I did the exact same thing. I said, okay, this is what you need to do. Like you wanna go out there, you want the intention of really helping people. 
take a breath and go do it. And at the end of class, out of my mouth, you're beautiful, you're powerful, you're stronger than you think. And now people just say it to me. They just say it to me. I love it. It's like, and it's become my thing. I need to trademark it. I'm probably going to trademark it before it comes out. You better trademark it. Before this, this podcast yeah, comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, You got two weeks. Go. <laughs> I got two weeks. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to do it. But people walk up to me and say it. Yeah. They I say it that. to me. You are beautiful. You are powerful. You're stronger than you think. And it's so important for people to hear, especially like it's, it's kindness. It's just being kind and lifting people up and mm-hmm. letting them know that. I mean, that's really what the body positive movement kind of boils down to is just letting people know like exactly what you said. Like you're beautiful. You're strong. You're, 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 you're powerful. You can do this. And it's a it's people need to be told that more and more. Well, I love that so much. Well, it's the intention that you set. Yeah. When you do this, Zach, you're yeah, doing sure. it and you don't yeah. even know that you're doing it. You're I walking try. in that same energy field. Like you want people to feel empowered. You want people to feel loved. You want people yeah. to leave this time with you, hopefully bettering themselves. I hope so. We do the same work. We just do it in different air arenas, different exactly. arenas. Exactly. Speaking of your work. Um, how are people going to find you? You have a series coming oh out. Oh my God. I have so many crazy ways to reach me and so many amazing opportunities. Well, tell us about your new series first. Um, I will be a part of the Daily Burn's new hit app. Um, all high intensity interval training workouts from Daily Burn. Um, they're like the leader in online streaming. They're yeah. actually Emmy, Emmy nominated. I've worked with them before in the past, but I've never been in a lead position. And really funny story. If you want another story about visualizing something for yourself. I was with a friend of mine having a lunch before my birthday, and I was gonna go away for about four or five days. And I said, you know what? I've done some background work and I've done a few video projects, but I feel like it's time for me to be the lead. I feel like I can do that. And Mm -hmm. it was a very ambitious thing to say. And I said, no one has really stepped up to me and offered it to me. I know there's a lot of different brands that I work for that's doing on demand, like everyone's doing on demand right now. But I feel like I can do this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come back from my birthday vacation and I'm going to find a videographer and an editor because I have plenty of people that I know that do that. Yeah. And I'm going to shoot my own workout videos, put them on Instagram, have them become really popular and then be like, hey, this and this person and this person and this person, you should hire me because I'm good at this. I kid you not. The final day of my birthday vacation on my way back as I was planning to make these videos, I got the email from Daily Burn to come in and present a five minute audition. And I burst into tears. Like I burst into tears because oh man, it wasn't the fact that I had even gotten the job yet. It was the fact that just four days ago I had spoke it. And that means that I was moving in the right vibrational frequency of it coming to me. No matter if it was going to be this project or if it was going to be another project with another company, it proved that what I thought of myself, someone else was already thinking as well, right? Yeah. So I come in, I audition, and they offered it, offered it to me. And that was like around July 10th, and we've been spending the past two months shooting workouts. And I shot, it started off as three videos, and they called me back in, and now it's going to be six videos. That's <laughs> For awesome. beginner, intermediate, advanced, all types of workouts. You can use your body weight. You can use dumbbells. Um, same exact positive messaging, same motivation that I always do. Which was kind of tricky for me, though, doing it in this proscenium because it's yeah. just me and the camera. Yeah, you don't have... I don't have background you're not, talent. You're not feeding off of the energy of the of room. Of the room, right? Exactly. So even if they had background talent, I would have been able to use those people because I feel like I thrive in coaching. Like, that's my gift is to be able totally. to see people and make them feel better about themselves. But it's literally just me and the camera. But I found that way of doing that exact same thing 
one-on-one. So I hope that it feels that way when you guys download the app Hell yeah. and work out with me. Daily Burn. Everybody yes, get yes. it. Get it, get it, How get it. How else can they see you and reach you? You can reach me on Instagram at Matthew Johnson Harris. No spaces, no underscores. Um, and that's pretty much primarily my main source of social media when it comes mm-hmm. to like fitness and business now. Um, I've been very intentional how I use that as well. Very, yeah, it's very smart. You know, I, I do the same thing. Yeah, like every. I have other social media. I have my Facebook and I have my Twitter and I have all this stuff. But for me, it's like Instagram is like business. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I wish people were just more intentional in how they do everything. Yeah. Like, take a moment to think before you act in general. Like, yeah. what is the reason why you're posting this? Or what is the reason why you're even showing up to that fitness class? Like, I say that to people. Why are you here? Yeah. And if they tell me that. They want to lose a lot of weight because their boyfriend left them and made them feel like crap. I'm like, okay, I'm going to eliminate the boyfriend and we're going to work on the made you feel like crap. Yeah. And we're going to make you better for you because what's going to happen is you're going to step in front of that boyfriend and he's going to see you and you're going to have that little moment of validation. And then you're going to gain all the weight and you're going to go right back to the lifestyle that you had before because those emotions and those things just happen in the moment. I want you yeah. to have a lifestyle now, you know? Yeah. I want you to have a lifestyle now. I love that. Um, yeah, you're, you're so amazing. Any other classes they could check you out? Oh at? my God, yes. Go you know what? If you want to have an experience beyond all experiences, the class that I plug the most is a free class that I teach in Harlem on 135th Street and Linux. It's at Harlem Hospital. They convert the hospital into like a dance class like they put up mirrors and everything um it's a class that i teach with shape up new york which provides free fitness classes in underdeveloped neighborhoods or places where people probably don't have as much money Mm -hmm. to pay for a gym membership it has changed my life i've been volunteering there for the past four years thanks to Lindsay schiller another um, amazing instructor that's helped me along the way in my career she told me about the class and it's a room where you can literally reach out and you could grab and feel gratitude. People are moving their bodies. I think it's also because we're at the bottom floor of a hospital, and there's something about knowing that literally above us, there's people that don't have range of motion. Yeah. There's people that wish that they could be doing exactly what you're doing right now. So size and all these other different things that we think about as you know things that hold us back are instantly checked, and we have gratitude in that moment because we're like, at least we're walking. Yeah. At least we're moving, at least we're breathing. It is a magical class. Um, on Instagram, I post about my other classes that you can pay for, and you can also reach out to me about just advice in general when it comes to fitness and life. But that class is magical. It's every Friday night at 6 p.m. And if I'm not teaching it, some other instructor is. I'm usually always there. I've, I feel like in the past five years, I may have missed like eight times. Like yeah. I never missed that class. It's, it's as much of a gift to me as it is to them. So. Come to the Harlem Hospital class and say you came because of this podcast because it's super fun. Amazing. Matthew Johnson Harris, I love you so much. Thank you for inspiring me and inspiring a whole bunch of people you didn't even see just now because <laughs> you're, you're incredible. Um, I love you, buddy. I love you too. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Everybody, please go check out Maddie, uh, Matthew Johnson Harris. Sorry. I know he doesn't like to be called Maddie anymore, but that's how I met him. Uh, please go check out Matthew Johnson Harris on all of his social medias. 
Uh, please check us out on social media at Zach Miko, Z-A-C-H-M-I-K-O. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bigthingspod. Please go to our website, bigthingspod.com. Email me at Zach at bigthingspod.com. Email Josh at Josh at bigthingspod.com. We love you all very much. Remember what Matthew says. You are valid. You are loved. You are stronger than you think. And until next week, go out into the world and do big things.